0: Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, "'Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel.' The woman came and knelt before him. "'Lord, help me,' she said. He replied, "'It is not right to take the children's bread "'and toss it to their dogs.' "'Yes, Lord,' she said, "'but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table.' Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan.
1: Thanks, John. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Now, I wonder if you've ever um, had the experience of being overlooked or ignored. I imagine if you've lived in uh, this world for a few years, um, then you've, you'll have had experiences of being overlooked. Or ignored. I wonder what kind of things come to mind for you as you think about that. I've been in conversations in the past where the person uh, seemed as though they were just itching to finish that conversation and turn to somebody else in the room. Sometimes it's when I've told them that I'm a, a church pastor. It's at that point. Um, and it hurts, doesn't it, to be overlooked. Or well, perhaps you've, you've experienced being overlooked for a particular job, even though you thought you were qualified to do it and you would have done a good job at it. Or maybe you face the really painful reality of being overlooked in your own families or among friendship groups. People organising things without you, people pushing you to the margins. I'm sure you'll agree with me that one of the most painful experiences in life is to be overlooked. Now, when it comes to Jesus Christ, I want us to consider this question Is there any type of person that Jesus would overlook? Is there anyone to whom Jesus would say, no, not them. I'm not interested in them. Now I ask it because I think even as Christians, we can sometimes think that there are people who Jesus just wouldn't be bothered about, people who are perhaps too wicked or too apathetic or too awkward or too whatever else it might be. It can be easy to think, even if we don't say it out loud, that, that surely Jesus didn't come for them. And I also imagine that there are some of you sitting here in this room today who are asking the same question about yourself. Would Jesus really be interested in me? Now maybe you saw your own heart revealed in the passage last week where Jesus exposed us as people with a deep heart problem that we can't fix on our own and we think, yes I see that in myself, I know that describes my own heart, surely Jesus wouldn't be interested in me. Or maybe we've lived through a lot in our lives that people here don't know anything about. Things that maybe we've done or said or things that have been done or said to us. And we think, how could Jesus be interested in me? How could Jesus have come for someone like me? I wonder, do we have an unspoken criteria in our minds for who is in and who is out when it comes to salvation? And if so, who have we excluded? And have we even excluded ourselves? Now, we're coming to a part of the Bible this morning um, that is going to directly challenge that view of Jesus, the view that sees his ministry as narrow and exclusive and discriminating. Because in reality, the floodgates of salvation have been thrown wide open. And the only thing keeping us away is our own unbelief, our own pride, and our own reluctance to accept the wide-open offer of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where we're heading to this morning. This is uh, the point of what we're going to be seeing together. But to get there, we need to get to grips with an interaction that Jesus has with this woman um, in Matthew 15, an interaction that appears on the surface to push against the idea that Jesus is inclusive and compassionate. seems to suggest the opposite, and so we need to give it some careful attention together. We're going to start in verses 21 to 28 by thinking about um, this Gentile woman Now, Jesus is on the move in verse 21. Just have a look with me. He leaves the place where he was and he withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, the way Matthew describes this is really interesting. He doesn't just say Jesus left that place and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It says Jesus withdrew to the region. He stepped back from where he was. He withdrew and went to Tyre and Sidon. Um, Now, this is a a pattern that we see in Matthew's Gospel at a a couple of different points. Uh, For example, in chapter 12, verse 14, we read that the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And then Matthew writes, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Rejection followed by withdrawal. Or chapter 14 um, is another place. Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist there. And then we read, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So here in Matthew 15, what has just been happening in the earlier part of chapter 15? You might remember if you were here last week. There was opposition. There was rejection. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had come down uh, from Jerusalem to to question Jesus' authority And after their conversation, we read that the Pharisees were offended by Jesus. They rejected him. And so Jesus deliberately withdraws again. Opposition ramps up. Rejection intensifies. And Jesus withdraws from that place. Now, why does he do that? Well, I I think he does that for, for two reasons. First, because it's not yet the time of his death. He has more ministry to do on earth. And secondly, as a demonstration of his message leaving the place where it wasn't received. The people refused Jesus, and so Jesus leaves them. It's a sign of judgment and warning on those people who rejected him. And with this latest withdrawal in chapter 15, we seem to be reaching a turning point in Matthew's gospel. Because Jesus doesn't just withdraw to another Jewish location. He withdraws beyond the boundaries of Israel into the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon. Now, the word Gentile simply refers to someone who is not a Jew, and in the eyes of the Jews at this time, this automatically made somebody unclean. They were outside God's covenant people and away from God's covenant blessings. But Jesus deliberately withdraws to the Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon, where he meets a Gentile of the Gentiles, we could say. In other words, this person that he meets is very definitely not Part of the Jewish people. Have a look at verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. What do we learn about the woman in verse 22? Well, the first thing we see is that she is a Canaanite. This is not the word you typically use for a person um, from this region. Um, to talk about them. You'd much rather, t- uh, more likely talk about uh, a Syrophoenician woman, as Mark does in, in his gospel, or a native of Tyre and Sidon. But Matthew uses a title that refers to the whole region from where she is, the Canaanite region. She's a Canaanite woman. Now, if you were playing a game of Bible trivia on a Saturday night, I'm sure lots of you were doing that last night, And he had to track uh, the Canaanites through the Old Testament. You'd see them all over the place. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. And then right through the time of Abraham, through the time of Moses, the time of Joshua, into the time of the Judges, the Canaanites were the ever-present enemies of God's people. They were opposed to God's purposes. They worshipped their own idols. They were people who were driven out of the promised land by the Israelites. And so when a Jew hears about a Canaanite, it's a bit like Batman hearing the words of the penguin, or Sherlock Holmes hearing about Moriarty. You know, it's that kind of thing. The, Can- the Canaanites were the enemies of the Israelites. So here we have a Canaanite woman who is on the far edges of someone you'd not expect to be part-, part of God's people. She's a Gentile, not just a Gentile, she's a Canaanite. But this woman doesn't come as an opponent of Jesus, does she, in these verses. She comes as a believer in Jesus. We see it, don't we, as she cries for help. She calls Jesus Lord, Son of David. She sees Jesus and she sees the Jewish Messiah, the one promised by God who would come in the line of King David to establish God's eternal kingdom. Lord, Son of David. She understands far more about Jesus than the religious leaders we saw in last week's passage. They take offense at him, she comes to him for mercy. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But what follows in these verses makes us think that maybe Jesus didn't come for people like this woman. Maybe he isn't interested in people like this Canaanite woman. Look at his first response in verse 23. His first response is no response at all. Jesus did not answer a word to, to her cries. Now, I think this seems out of character. Jesus the compassionate and powerful Messiah has been um, gladly giving people what they've asked for through Matthew's gospel he's been merciful to people but here he stays silent what's going on the disciples decide to take action so they come to Jesus and urge him send her away for she keeps on crying out after us they come across this as a, a bit annoyed, don't they, at the woman who's crying. Get rid of her. She keeps on crying out. It's doing our heads in. Maybe that's the kind of tone that they're using with Jesus. But I don't think that they're telling Jesus to just send her away. It seems as though they want Jesus to do what the woman is asking him to do. And the reason I think that is because of verse 24. Jesus answers the disciples in verse 24. And I think his answer only really makes sense when we take the disciples' words in that way. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the disciples are saying, I think, do what she wants. Heal her daughter, then send her away, get rid of her. And Jesus replies, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. This woman is very much not part of Israel, therefore she's not entitled to the blessings that she asks for. I mean, we need to understand, I think, through Matthew's Gospel, that this has been Jesus' mission. He is Israel's Messiah. He has come for the Jews. His ministry has its roots in the salvation plan of God that has spanned the centuries in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with abraham with his descendants he confirmed that covenant to israel and his sons and from that point on it was the jewish nation who enjoyed the privileges of covenant relationship with their gods a the canaanite woman has already acknowledged something of this jewish centered mission when she called jesus the son of david israel's king and so jesus is restating what any jewish person would know from the old testament that the messiah is here for the lost sheep of israel i we're not sure whether the woman is listening in to the conversation at this point. But regardless, she's persistent, isn't she? And so she continues to plead with Jesus in verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Her posture before Jesus now changes. Like the magi in Matthew and the centurion and the leper that we've seen in this story so far, she kneels at his feet in reverence and submission And her cry is now condensed to these emotional three words, isn't it? Lord, help me. But again, we're surprised by Jesus' response in verse 26. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And this is where the offensive scale ramps up a further notch. She, as a Gentile person, is likened, in Jesus' words, to a dog. If Jesus had said this sort of thing to the Pharisees last, in last week's passage, they would have been gnashing their teeth in anger at him by now, wouldn't they? What is Jesus saying in this statement? And I guess how, how offensive is, is he being here? Well, he wants us to imagine a, a dinner table. With children sitting around uh, eating bread for their supper and around the children are the household dogs who are sniffing around looking for things that fall from the, from, the, from the table. I used to play a really cruel game with my dog growing up where I would pretend to take something off my plate and then give it to him and he'd go for it and it'd happen again and again. Trying to teach him that he's never going to get any food, he, he never learned. But he was always around waiting uh, for something to fall. Jesus says, at a meal like this, it wouldn't be right to take the bread from the children and to give it to the dogs. We know it's strange, don't we, when people treat their pets better than they treat people. It's not right. It's not right for the dogs to eat before the children. The bread is for the children. And so Jesus is making the point of verse 24 again. He has come for the children of Israel. He has come to bring blessing for the Jews. That is his priority And in Matthew's Gospel, we we could say we are in the middle of the meal, aren't we? As Jesus is bringing that blessing um, to the Jews. He's bringing the word to Israel. He's performing miracles in Israel. He's calling people from Israel back to him. And the Gentiles are the dogs, second in priority. They're not entitled to take the bread from the people of Israel. Now, I imagine that some of us are finding uh, the words of Jesus a bit uncomfortable. They feel a bit offensive um, to this woman like she's being treated as second best. And let me just remind you that Jesus is not just talking about her, but any, any non-Jewish person. If you're a Gentile here this morning, you do not have rights to this bread. And one reason I think it feels uncomfortable to me, and maybe uh, feels uncomfortable to you, is because of my deep sense of entitlement that I think I have. I'd imagine many of you would share it. We have this idea that if someone else is enjoying something good over there, then we are just as entitled to that thing as they are. Whether it's a spouse or wealth or reputation, the assumption is I am entitled to to at least as much good of, of that thing as the other person is. That's why we can feel sad and angry at another person's good things. And while we can feel good at another person's sorrow or or misfortune, we have very sad, twisted, entitled hearts, don't we? And so we come to a verse like this, and that entitlement clashes with the words of Jesus. If the Jews are offered salvation, we think, I should be offered salvation. If the Jews are given bread, I should have the bread. And this is where the woman's humility is a real rebuke to our pride. How would we expect her to reply to these words of Jesus? Probably with something like, how dare you? I'm just as worthy of the blessings as they are. Don't you see how they're treating you, Jesus? That's how we might respond. But her reply is a wonderful mix of humility and hope. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an astonishing first word that she says to Jesus. Yes, yes, Lord, you're right. What you say is correct. It would not be right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It would not be right to remove the blessings from Israel and turn them over to the Gentiles. But Lord, don't even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table? Perhaps, Lord, there might just be a few crumbs for me and for my daughter. What a wonderful, humble woman. She has a deep understanding of her position before Jesus. And yet her humility is coupled with hope, isn't it? That Jesus can show her mercy, that he might just show her mercy. And it's now um, that Jesus finally commends her attitude and grants her request in verse 28. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. There's only one other person, I think, in in Matthew who is commended for their faith. It's the centurion in in chapter 8, another Gentile person. And how different this response is to the house of Israel. Last week, the hypocritical leaders of the Jews came to Jesus with pride in their hearts and they left offended by Jesus. They were marked by pride and unbelief. But now a humble Canaanite woman Falls at the feet of Jesus, in knowledge of who He is, with persistence in her request, and goes away with her request granted. She is marked rather differently, isn't she, by humility and faith. She knows that she has no rights to the blessings of salvation. As a Gentile, she doesn't have a seat at the table, no bread of her own, and so she cries for mercy. Not for Jesus to give her what is her right, but to graciously grant her what she does not deserve. Great is her faith. I want to pause here for a moment and deal with one of the, the questions that might have come up for you from these verses, and it's this one: Has this woman just twisted jesus 's arm? Has' her persistence finally won the day over the reluctant Jesus? Well, as I thought about this, my mind went to children in a toy shop. I wonder if you've walked around a toy shop it's one of my least favorite places to be with my children is a toy shop. Um, you probably heard children begging with their parents as they go through the aisles, please can I have this, mommy, daddy, please, please, this, this toy. And that please turns into a please, it just gets longer and longer. And there are further requests until sometimes the parent gives in. Is that, is that what the woman is doing here, annoying Jesus until he gives in to what she's asking? Well, I don't think that's what's going on. Um, and I want to give you a few reasons why I don't think that's what's happening here. Remember verse 21 to start with. Jesus deliberately withdraws into the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's like he's inviting an encounter like this one with with the Gentiles. It also comes after the persistent rejection of the house of Israel at this point in Matthew. And as we see in places like Isaiah 29, Israel's rejection would lead to the inclusion of the Gentiles. It feels as though we're reaching that turning point. Added to that is the fact that earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus told the centurion that people would come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. He was saying that the kingdom is for all people. Added to that is the final few verses of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. That's where the story is heading. And added to that is the weight of the whole Old Testament, which tells us that there will be an ingathering of people from every nation of the world when the kingdom comes. So this is not Jesus being persuaded to do something that he didn't want to do. Instead, I think this is Jesus drawing out the faith of the Canaanite woman. This is Jesus teaching us very clearly about the priority of salvation. And this is Jesus teaching us that the only way to approach him for salvation is to come asking for mercy, falling at his feet in humility, confessing the fact that we have no right to come, but trusting in the compassion and power of Jesus. Just think with me, if we ended uh, the interaction at verse 22 and Jesus granted her request straight away, none of those things would have been seen so clearly by us, would they? Jesus had a point to make, And the woman understands, and so she gladly embraces the crumbs. We're learning that Jesus has come for people like this woman, a Canaanite woman on the edges, a woman with no rights to stand on, a woman who is unclean and who knows it, a woman who believes in the Lord Jesus. If she can be saved, a Canaanite woman can be saved, then there's hope for us today. But there's also a looming question that is raised, I think, by this encounter, especially if we're Gentiles today, not part of the Jewish nation. Yes, Jesus might have come for people like us, but what will he provide for people like us? What will the crumbs be like? Will we have the second best when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? Now, as we turn from a Gentile woman to the Gentile world, we'll get very clear answers to those questions. So let's come secondly to the Gentile world. Now in these verses, Jesus provides for people in two ways. He heals and he feeds. He firstly heals as God promised to do. Let me read some, some words from Isaiah 35 to you. You don't need to turn to them. Um, but words that are the background to Matthew 15. Here are the words God tells Isaiah to speak to the people. Isaiah chapter five, uh, 35 So God addresses his people in Isaiah and says, I am coming and I will come to save you. And when that happens, all these things will be the signs that salvation is here. And so just look down at Matthew 15 and verse 29 with me. And we see that precisely these things are coming true um, at this point in Matthew. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, the same groups as we saw in Isaiah 35, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Why do they praise God? Because salvation is here, God is here in the person of Jesus Christ, and who is praising God? Well, it's the Gentile world. That phrase at the end of verse 31 is one reason to think that Jesus is still in Gentile territory at this point. He performs miracles among them and they praise the God of Israel. That's something that only a Gentile would say, isn't it? The Jews would praise God, their God. But the Gentiles have now come to praise the same God, the God of Israel. Jesus is telling the Gentiles salvation is for you. I have come for you. I will provide for you. And he is cracking open these blessings for anyone. Yes, he came for the Jews as a first priority, as we've been seeing, but the Jews have rejected him as Messiah, and now the Gentiles are flooding in. Now, it's worth remembering that it's not the end of the story for the Jewish nation, as we see in places like Romans 11, but it is the beginning for the Gentiles. So he heals them as God has promised. He brings salvation to the Gentile world. And he also feeds them as God had done for Israel in their time in the wilderness. Now, as Owen taught us earlier in our children's talk, this is not the first time we've seen bread and fish. It's not the first time we've seen thousands of people and a miraculous feeding. A very similar miracle took place in chapter 14. And many of the details are are the same if you were to compare the two. Loads of the details are the same. But now Jesus is with the Gentiles. That is the crucial difference. He is in the Gentile world. And so the repeated details in these verses now take on new significance, new resonance for Gentile readers. Just have a look at verse 32, for example. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. These Gentile people. The Lord loves them. The Lord wants to provide for them. And if we look down at verse 37, his provision is just as abundant for the Gentiles as it was for the Jews. They all ate and were satisfied. I don't know about you, but I don't have much time for restaurants where you get tiny portions of supposedly brilliant quality. Just give me a proper plate. Well, Jesus, you could say, gives the Gentiles a, a, a proper plate. He pulls up a chair at the banquet. He invites them to come in and he lays on the same lavish feast that was given to the Jews. The woman um, that we read about asks for scraps from the table, just a few crumbs for me and my daughter. And Jesus says, I will give you everything. He is the generous sovereign Lord of all who has come as the loving saviour of all and who invites us to come to the banquet. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, however excluded we might feel there is a place here at the table if we want it and we know with absolute certainty that that is true because of what we see later in matthew's gospel in the cross of christ because there jesus broke down in his death the dividing wall of hostility between jews and gentiles and he brought both groups to god as one new race as we read in ephesians who together share in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus is Lord of all, and he has come as saviour for all. So as we conclude, let me just reflect with you on two implications from what we've seen from this passage. I think um, this passage humbles our pride, firstly, and I think it leads us out in love for the world. Firstly, it humbles our pride. Now, if last week's passage was here to strip away our righteousness when it comes to salvation, because the problem is in our hearts, then I wonder whether this passage is here to strip away our rights when it comes to salvation. I read of the faith of the Canaanite woman and think I am so unlike her. I'm tempted to think in my heart I have a right to the good things of the kingdom of God, just as I have a right to all the other good things that people enjoy In this world, how could God exclude me from those things? But she comes and says, yes, Lord, I have no right to a place at the feast. But I humbly come and I ask for crumbs from the table, not because of my merit, but because of your mercy. Not because I deserve anything from you, but because, Jesus, I believe you will give everything generously to me. The one who cries out, Lord, help me and Lord, have mercy on me. Is the one who's understood their position before the Lord Jesus. So if you're a Christian today, and particularly if you're a Gentile Christian, you sit here among the people of God, singing the praises of your heavenly Father, looking forward to the heavenly banquet, and you have no right to be here. I have no right to be here. And yet Jesus has been immensely merciful to us giving us the crumbs from the table that turned out to be the full blessings of salvation praise the god of israel the passage humbles our pride and secondly i think the passage leads us out in love for other people you might know uh, george whitfield who was an evangelist in the 18th century and he was told that he wasn't allowed to preach in the church of england churches because he didn't have a license and so he famously proclaims the world is my parish And he went out, proclaimed the gospel to thousands upon thousands of people here um, in the UK and across uh, in America too. William Carey crossed the seas to go to India where there was very little gospel witness to tell the Gentile world of salvation. People in our church family opened their mouths to talk about Jesus at the school gate or in the workplace or when they're out on a run with friends or at school or in university halls And it's passages like this one that reminds us that Whitfield and Carey and we are not foolish to do that. Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament to bring blessing to the nations. He heals the sick. He opens the eyes of the blind. He feeds the crowds to teach us that Gentiles really are included, fully included in God's salvation plan. Nothing is holding people back. Nothing is keeping us out apart from our own stubborn hearts. Jesus invites the world to come. He invites the nations to come. He invites you to come. I think sometimes we can feel pretty discouraged sometimes as Christian believers with our heads down. Perhaps feeling the weight of the world's rejection of Jesus. Perhaps wondering if if he really is Lord over all people and Lord over the people that we know. Well, I think we need to let the Canaanite woman And the people on the mountainside and the crowds who were fed remind us to lift our head up and to see that God's Messiah has prepared a great banquet for the world. This is the reason it's worth praying and building a building to try and reach more people in our city. It's why it's worth sending people overseas to places where there is little gospel witness. And it's why it's worth trying again with a family member who seems indifferent to the Lord Jesus. The door to the banquet is open. Salvation really is for the ends of the earth. And there is no person in this world to whom Christ does not say come. So come to him this morning and invite others to do the same. Why don't I lead us in prayer as we come to an end? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you've been so merciful to us to give us a seat at the feast in the Kingdom of Heaven. We want to praise you again, the God of Israel, that you are also the God of the nations. May we be rightly humbled and rightly hopeful of all that you're doing in this world as you gather more and more people to the shepherd and saviour, our Lord Jesus. And if there's anyone here this morning who walked into church thinking that you would never be interested in them, help them to know that Christ, the compassionate one, is calling them today to come and receive the full blessings of his salvation. Please lead them to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.